Well, I've got to tell you that my grandson last week left me hanging. In fact, as we're studying Philippians chapter 3, he ended on verses 10 and 11. Let's read those right now. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, verse 10 is the key to the whole chapter. It's, in fact, maybe the key to the whole book. And so I'm supposed to begin this morning with the answer to our human dilemma. And you're asking, what human dilemma exactly? Well, bear with me, and let me try to explain. Two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus was fully God, who became fully human on that first Christmas morning. Now, don't feel left out. That idea is way beyond my comprehension, too. I believe it, even though I don't totally understand what that means. I believe it because God's Word says it. And I like how the New Living Translation says it, so I'm going to read that from up here. Though he was God, that's Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. So our dilemma is that although Jesus became fully human and yet was able to live a perfect life, to live without sin, you and I cannot. I can't even come close. Maybe some of you can. Well, Pastor Jared brought us right up to verse 12 then. So in your Bible, look at verse 12, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or arrived at or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So Paul is saying, when it comes to verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death, he's saying, I I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm not even close. I haven't attained it, but I keep pressing on. So what was happening to Paul is also happening to you and me. You see, Jesus came to earth that Christmas morning as a fully functioning human baby. He was God. He was man. He was fully human. Well, so are we. But we don't fully function as God created us. We are fully human like the baby Jesus, but we're broken. Mankind fell from perfection in the garden. Sin entered the human race with Adam and Eve and their disobedience. And as a result, all humanity is born in sin, born separated from our Creator. Now, Pastor Jared made that crystal clear with his, with his um, uh, slide last Sunday morning when he told us that Paul didn't and that Paul couldn't 
reach the righteousness, the perfection necessary to get into heaven on his own. You see, Paul, he was religious enough to make it into the synagogue. This is our first uh, thought in the back of the bulletin. But he was not righteous enough to get into heaven. As Paul put it, I was in the flesh. He said in verses 3 and 9, as I review a little, that we are to have no confidence in our flesh, but we're to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. To be found in him, in Christ. So I think the theme of the book of Philippians might be this very short phrase, in him, to be found in Christ. Paul emphasizes that here in chapter 3. In fact, he says, says it several different ways. He says that we're, uh, as believers, we are in him, we're in the spirit, we're in Christ, we're in the Lord. In fact, he says it six different times. I've got them on the slides here. He says, when I rejoice, I can rejoice in the Lord, verse 1. Verse 2, when I worship, I worship in the Spirit. As we worshiped earlier, I was thinking, this is how we can kind of get out of our own thoughts and be worshiping in the Spirit. It was beautiful. In fact, my older sister, yes, there are people in my family older than me, okay? When my sister came and visited with my cousin, they go to church in Oregon, they said, we pray that God would give us a worship time like you guys have here. Thank, thank the Lord for our worship team. God bless them. Yes. We're, we're, we're clapping for you, Lord. That when we rejoice, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, verse 2. In verse 9, you should be found. When people are looking for you, they should see you in him and by faith in Christ, verse 9, verse 14. There's an upward call that God has given us in God, uh, in Christ Jesus. So Paul points out that even when we aren't found in Christ, living with his strength and wisdom, we're functioning or living in the flesh. We're living life, I'm living life by my own strength, my own ability, my own wisdom. And he's saying in this chapter, it's one or the other. I believe this might be the main lesson for us this morning. To ask ourselves at any moment, in every situation, did I just act or respond just then in the flesh or was I in the spirit? Or maybe better yet, right now, am I acting or responding in the flesh or in the spirit? Am I sitting here focusing, concentrating, or am I wondering if my recorder is working and I'll have the game when I get home? It, that's, you know, those things happen. They sneak up on us. So oh, I'm thinking my normal, here's me. I think it's all of us. My normal immediate response to any disagreeable situation is to act or respond in the flesh. 
It's my lifelong practiced habit. You see, being in the Spirit, being in Him, recognizing, being found in Him requires being focused and being alert. Chief Bob Vernon, who came and spoke at several of our men's conferences, he told us a true story of two LAPD cops who were kidnapped because they weren't paying attention. They weren't being focused. They weren't alert. They, were, they weren't focusing on being cops, on their surroundings. And two criminals got the drop on them, and they gave up their guns. The book, The Onion Fields, was written about the death of one and the narrow escape of the other. And the surviving officer was literally blamed for what happened. They were blamed because you never give up your weapon. You didn't make a plan ahead of time. You didn't stay focused. You didn't work that plan and your partner didn't stay alive. The chief said, never give up your weapon after they've captured you. Do you think you're going to live anyway? So Bob said, my partner and I, we developed our plan right then. We will split apart and we'll drop to the ground at the first sight of a weapon. And so we talked about it, thought of every scenario we could think of until it was ground into our subconscious. And within a month, Bob said, we knocked on a suspect's door, and the man opened the door, standing there smiling with a gun pointed right at us. And immediately we split. Our response was to drop to the floor. We drew our weapons, and Bob says, from the floor as I looked up with my weapon, I saw a shocked face and his gun flipping over his shoulder in surprise. Well, they arrested the man. A week later, out of guilt and shame, Bob went to his partner, and he said, will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. I have to admit, when I was praying, when I was praying, I prayed, Lord, if he shoots, let him shoot me last. And his partner said, thank you for that apology. But I got to tell you, I was praying the same thing. <laughs> you see, they were saved from a shootout or maybe injury or even death because they were purposely prepared to act and react. And this is true spiritually this morning. Like the two officers who were kidnapped, it's too easy to become complacent in our lives. They were patrolling the streets of L.A., but even for just that one fatal moment, they forgot their true identity, and they were complacent, not ready for danger. Well, you see, our identity is in Christ, to be found in him, to stay focused, so focused that every day we know Jesus a little bit better. As Paul said in verse 10, to know him, not just to know about him, Jesus is alive today. He's here to know him and the power of his resurrection. Our next point in the bulletin, it's only when I am purposefully or habitually acting or reacting that I'm walking in the spirit and able to defeat the power 
of my flesh, of my old habits. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I can remember as a young Christian when my friend Kenny, <laughs> after reading this verse, we were sitting in a group, and he said, I'm not going to ever sin again. I am going to walk in the Spirit from now on. And he was serious. He dearly loved the Lord. He was a great spiritual big brother to me. Uh, does anybody here want to guess how many days Kenny made it before he came back and admitted that he had a failure to be this perfect, sinless human? He didn't make it through the day. Kenny thought, well, it's just mind over matter. The Bible says it. You just have to want to do it, to wish it so. Well, the problem, he didn't read the next verse carefully. Let's look at it. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. That word might be wars against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Well, it all goes back to the garden, back to Genesis chapter 3, to the original sin. Since that day, our natural human inclination is to take care of the flesh, take care of number one. Paul is pointing out to us that we only have the power to live for Christ when we're walking in the Spirit, in Him, focusing on Jesus. Now, in this chapter, Paul points out different ways that people live in the flesh. Number one, the first group adding to the work of the cross, of the work of Jesus. This describes the men and women in verses 2. Uh, Jared talked about them last week. Who added human effort to faith, who demanded circumcision be added to your faith. Now, number two... If you're in the flesh, you are refusing the work of the cross. This described Paul in verses 4 through 6, before he surrendered to Jesus. In fact, all of mankind without the Savior are struggling in the flesh in unbelief. The next group is those who are becoming complacent toward the work of the cross. This can describe me way too much of the time. I can be unfocused, careless, neglectful, what I might call a casual Christian much of the time. Go through a whole day sometimes without really focusing on who I really am in Christ. I believe this third Christian lifestyle is what Paul is warning us about in Philippians chapter 3. He's saying, don't just be a pew sitter or a Sunday believer or a casual Christian. And I am so thankful for God's grace in his restoration. Because my deep, vibrant love for Jesus was shattered for several years 
when Satan got his wily hooks into me. I wasn't paying attention to God's spirit. I, I wasn't, I was reading it, but I wasn't paying attention to God's word and certainly not to God's warnings. I had become complacent, allowed busyness and pride and hurt and some deep anger to sway my thoughts and my emotions. And for a time, through sin that I slowly allowed into my life, I became part of the fourth group of Christians living in the flesh, living as though I was forgetting the work of the cross, what Jesus had done in my life. This describes the Christians who have fallen from grace, who have li are living in a sinful lifestyle. We'll talk more about that as we get to it. And as I've been studying Paul's letters to the churches, Galatians and uh, Ephesians and now Philippians, Pastor Lee and Jared and myself, we've been pointing out that we are in Christ. And it goes like this. It's in your bulletin. Our position in Christ is eternal. It's non-changing. Doesn't matter whether you're in group one, three, or four. Our position in Christ is eternal. But there's a practical side to being in Christ as well. And that's what this chapter is about. That's where I'm headed this morning. I want us to dig in this morning and to see whether we are living today in Christ or on our own. To do that, I'm going to review a few verses, and you can kind of find them as I go. I'm going to begin with verse 1. Verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Right here in verse 1, Paul gives us a clue to what our attitudes are all about. Are we walking in the flesh or in the Lord, in the Spirit? I can check to see if I'm walking in the Spirit, especially if I'm going through tough times. I just have to ask myself, am I rejoicing right now? Paul repeats this to the Philippians and again to the Christians in Thessalonica. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. This is a tough one. Rejoice in the Lord always. You didn't hear that? Again, I will say rejoice. Well, Paul must have knew you weren't listening either because he repeated it to you. Well, life, some of you may think, is like a box of chocolates. But life is also like this sidewalk right out in front of where I have to go on my, my walk. Last year, I was on my daily walk. When I tripped and fell, I wasn't paying attention. We used to say, my family is so poor, we can't even pay attention. That's how poor we are. You see, life can be dangerous. Life is dangerous. So my kids sent me a walking stick to help me pay attention. Bless you. If I'm consciously focusing on my walk with Jesus, I won't trip up. I won't stumble or fall. When disappointment or problems try to knock me down or rile me up, I can still be rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is an interesting one. Rejoice always, 
Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Well, Paul ends with the thought that if we're not doing these three things, rejoicing, praying, and thanking, that will quench the Holy Spirit, like bending a flexible hose that quenches and cuts off the water. Rejoicing, praying, and gratitude opens the flow of the Holy Spirit into our life and through our life. It says he's, God's Word says he's a fountain of water surging, springing up into everlasting life. Well, Jesus said, you can always rejoice. He's, I, I'm bringing up two reasons. One, because your name's are written in heaven. Rejoice over that, if nothing else. And I love his last promise because until we get to heaven, what about now? I think it might have been the last promise he gave his disciples. Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go back to Philippians 3, and verse 3 also tells us that we can rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And verse 9 says, be found in him. We read those. That's my desire, that I quit having confidence in my personal abilities and my flesh, and that I can be found, I actually find myself in him more often. But I can easily live having one foot in him and one foot in the flesh caught in the middle. You ever find yourself in that spot? I can become complacent toward Jesus' death on the cross, that casual Christian. Well, my grandpa had a word for that. He called me a time or two. He called me a mugwump having a tendency to be undecided and to sit on the fence. Well, don't just decide. Don't be a mugwump. Now, I used to think he made that word up. But when I remembered it, when I was getting this message ready, I looked it up. I did research. I Googled, all right? My vast library that I have. In 1888, the mugwumps were people who went with the flow. They were caught up by the prevailing winds of, the, of politics. A mugwump Christian is sitting on the fence with one foot in him, in Christ, the other foot in the flesh. And it, you might say, your mug is on one side and your wump is on the other. Well, we can be like this spiritually, complacent toward the work of Christ on the cross. It simply is too easy to be unfocused and distracted from day to day. Even without being aware to be living in the flesh. Now, sometimes I say to myself, I'm doing fine. I've put on my righteous robes. I'm in my spiritual pajamas. That's what happens. 
numb to the whispering voice of the Holy Spirit. But when conflict or disagreements, disagreeable situations arise, without thinking, I immediately act or respond in the flesh. Now, I'm not going to use names, but I want to talk about two young ladies that I have talked to in the past. It's a common scenario, and it most often happens in your family. It's too easy in your family. This one, she said to me, I got so angry with my husband, we went round and round. Our words kept getting louder and uglier. Finally, I prayed. Finally? When should she have prayed? You see, that was a mugwump marriage. Another example, another lady, this could have been a a man, but it, she said, I couldn't believe my dad spoke to me that way. It wasn't fair. What about my schedule, my plans? I went into my room steaming and fuming. Slammed the door. Finally, I calmed down and I prayed. Then I went back out to my dad and apologized. A mugwump daughter. You see, Grandpa was right. We are mugwumps too easily. In 2 Timothy, Paul challenges Timothy to stay focused, stay attentive, single-minded in your walk with Jesus. I've got the verse up here, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You, therefore, Timothy, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one endangered in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Timothy, don't wear spiritual pajamas. Put your armor on. Us mugwumps, we're not soldiers. We're no threat to the enemy. We don't win any battles. When we're sitting on the fence, we lean too easily, too heavily toward our wumps, the flesh, our old nature. We're creatures of old habits, bad habits. James, in his short letter, he describes us as mugwumps. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Well, we've come full circle. Verse 10 is the key to this dilemma. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, I need that power. I need more power than I have. When I was working with with high school and college students, I would say, it's like we have this new Corvette that we're pushing around. And we're, we're worn out and we're tired and we come to a little bit of a hill. We struggle in our Christian life and we push and we strain. And all we have to do is use the power that's in the engine. Climb in. Get in him. 
Do you see that's the key here? To know him, Jesus. The more intimately I know Jesus, the more I'm focused on him and I'm experiencing God's power in my life when I really need it. When those family arguments arise, I'm in him. I'm wearing my armor. I'm tapped into his power. I'm not caught unaware. Paul is pressing on toward this goal. When as a young Christian, a new believer, I would read the next three verses in my old King James Bible. Now this gives away a little of my age, but we only had the old King James in our home at that time. I didn't have it on my, oh, I didn't have one. Okay, that's right. And so I felt confused about what Paul was striving for, pressing on for, wanting to attain, wanting to lay hold of. But one thing I knew for sure, Paul wasn't being complacent. His walk with Jesus was active and vigorous and dynamic. Paul had his eye on a goal and he was pursuing it. I didn't quite understand what that goal was, but I wanted to be like Paul. So I read these verses. We'll read them together. I'll read them out loud. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may hold, lay, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting these words which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Perhaps Paul recognized the confusion I was in, so he wrote verse 14. I press forward, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a goal. There's a prize. Now, I was still confused about Paul's goal or the prize, have you ever wanted to understand something so much that you overanalyzed it? You scrutinized it to the point of confusion? Well, that's what I did. I squeezed the simplicity out of it. You see, Paul is simply saying this. I haven't fully known Jesus and the power of his resurrection. The power of sin is too strong. My, my sin, my flesh, it keeps overpowering my desire to fully know Jesus. Even though the power that raised Jesus from the grave is available to me, I keep falling short, but I press on. That's my challenge to you. I press on. Paul wants to know Jesus better every day so he won't be on the fence when trials and temptations come. He says this in verse 12, not that I have already attained or arrived at or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And what is that? Victory in my life. To be the person I really want to be. We must press on because we're always growing. We're always maturing in the faith. You'll never get there. Our walk with Jesus, Paul says, never stop growing. When the mugwump spouse finally prayed, when the mugwump daughter finally prayed, 
What were they praying for? They wanted to have the power to be loving and kind and submissive. Not submissive to others. Submissive to God. You see, when you think you're doing the right thing and being submissive to others, then you've missed the point. You're doing the right thing by being submissive to the Lord because he's going to help you make it happen. That's what it means to be in him. If I'm going to be more like Jesus, then I will also suffer as he did. And the New Living Translation makes it much more clear. I wish I'd have had this when I was 17. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Lord, I'm angry right now, powerless to be loving and kind. Jesus, you died for me. Help me suffer to live for you right now. I want to be found in you right now so I can have your power to say no to my flesh and be who I really want to be. You see, Paul called this in verse 8, you can see it, it's in your Bible, he called this the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That's how we move from mundane to excellence. This is how we work out our salvation. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or laid hold of, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Notice Paul's focus. It's this one thing I do, not these 50 things I dabble in. There's a million activities in this world that will distract us from seeking God. Knowing God, knowing Jesus demands focus, clearing the schedule, and making time. Paul lets go of the past. In the back of the bulletin, don't focus on the past because in the past, your failures will discourage you and your successes will distract you. We all know people who are living in the past, or should I say, who are stuck in the past. Especially their successes get bigger and bigger. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is using language of the, of the Greek Olympics. He's a, he's a soldier, but he's also an athlete. He's running a race. Paul is pressing on with his eye on the goal of being found in Jesus. Now, that's interesting. You have to walk with your eyes to see where you're going, but you have to run with your eyes on Jesus. That's the goal. Like an athlete, he's keeping fit spiritually. Paul is dealing with his lazy, undisciplined flesh. Perhaps part of my confusion as a baby believer was this whole concept of pressing on, of where my effort and God's power interact. 
Well, in the bulletin, here's a thought. Righteousness is gained not by trying. I was told that. Not by trying, but by trusting. Yet, building up my faith demands effort. Faith is not passive. Your faith is active and aggressive. James says, I'll show you my faith by how I live. Paul presses on, applying every ounce of his energy and attention to achieving the goal of knowing Christ, of being in him. Verse 15, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, or if you start going astray, God will reveal even this to you. You see, God doesn't want us to wander around in the dark. If we have this mind, if we're seeking to know Jesus deeper, if we're pressing toward the goal, here's God's promise. He'll promise to be our shepherd, our coach, to direct and to guide us. He told us this in Proverbs, is a good uh, chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have attained or arrived, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Well, I, I'm not sure. This could mean one of two things. It may mean that he's using Olympic language Again, an athlete must compete by the rules. The one rule may be unity, being of the same mind. Or Paul might be saying, have the same mind that I have and press on. Don't look back. Press on toward the goal, the prize. Tap into the power that raised Jesus from the grave. In verse 17, Paul tells us, join me. Join Paul's circle of men and women who walk in fellowship with Jesus and therefore in fellowship with each other. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk so you have us for a pattern. These men are walking in the Spirit. They're walking in deliberate fellowship with Jesus. But to those mugwumps who have become complacent and uncommitted, sitting on the fence, the fence becomes a dangerous place when storms come and the winds blow. Trials and especially temptations come and overwhelm so that these folks, including me, fall into the last groups who are living in the flesh, those who are forgetting the work of the cross, even as these cops did for a moment, living as though Jesus didn't die for me at that moment. Verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. He's weeping for these brothers and sisters that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Those whose end is destruction, and whose God is their belly. At first I thought, well, they're the enemies of the cross, therefore they must not be Christians anymore. They must have 
God must have let go of them. No. As a youth pastor, I was able to go into, in those days, many high school classes and talk about, in English, the Bible. In, in um, senior civics, uh, about civility. And after, after I fell from grace, I was written, a letter was written. You came and told us how bad we were. Look at yourself. I had become an enemy of the cross. Praise God for his grace. Amen. Amen. You see, your motive becomes selfish. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame. Who set their mind on earthly things. They were earthbound in their thinking. They lacked the mind and heart of heaven. They, we, they have put on their old grave clothes. They're living among the enemy. They've forgotten where they belong. So Paul reminds them in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling them to come home. Your citizenship is here. You see, Christ is hes powerful enough to keep me from falling, but praise God, he's loving and powerful enough pull me back to himself. And Paul reminds us in verse 21, who will transform our lowly body. Won't it be great when we're in heaven and we won't have all these struggles? Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. who will transform our lowly, sinful bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He's calling them home. He's reminding them, he's reminding us, put off the garments, the grave clothes of the flesh, put on Jesus with his garments of righteousness. And that's my challenge this morning too, to be soldiers wearing the uniform and the arm, armor of heaven and even athletes with the uniform and clothing of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warning that you give to me each day. Stay alert, Dawn. Stay focused. Lord, that's my prayer for each of us, that we will press on to focus on what you want to do in our lives. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.
Amen.